The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. We are in the series, The Word of the Lord, where Brett and I look at the Revised Common Lectionary. And the Revised Common Lectionary offers up texts to us, to which is a good practice for Brett and I to say, okay, it's not me choosing this text, but I'm receiving a text saying, what does this text have to say for us now? So our text today is from Colossians chapter three, beginning in verse one up to 11. It says this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks, as always, for your word. So today we, give, we ask for ears to hear, for hearts to follow, and for bodies to that will obey. And God, I ask for the gift of preaching. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have you ever shown up somewhere dressed for the wrong event? I mean, you thought you were going to do one thing and you realized only that you dressed, the dress wasn't appropriate. I came across uh, a picture. We're going to show it just a moment. Right? Imagine if you were going to meet the Queen of England, if you're gonna go meet the Queen, there is a certain dress. I'm sure it's, it's like law in England. Like there's certain rules about you can't turn your back on the Queen, you know, you have to exit a room, you know, backpedaling. There's certain rules about etiquette about how you approach the Queen. So I found this picture of someone that clearly was dressed for the wrong event. Yes, if you recognize, that is Crocodile Dundee, Paul Hogan. And the queen looks uh, uh, very pleasant or pleasantly surprised that she has this smirk on her face like, you clearly didn't know you were meeting me today. Right? He is not dressed appropriately for that event. In fact, probably the only appropriate dress this is for is at the lake in Oklahoma in the 1980s. (laughs) Only in the 1980s. 
I have this reoccurring dream. I probably shouldn't share this with you, especially with Brett. I have this reoccurring dream that I show up to church and Brett says, so you're ready this morning? And I say, for what? You're preaching. So much so that oftentimes I check in with Brett. Is it my turn this week or is it your turn? Just to make sure. And Brett, I promise you, if you try to pull a joke on me when... <laughs> because there is a clear difference, at least for me, on Sunday morning. There's a difference between the Sundays I don't preach and the Sundays I do. It really changes my whole week. It, it maybe even changed the way I address at times. It, it changes... This event is very different from up here than is here. It changes, right, my behavior. I'm, it, it's just a, a, a different event. Because depending on the event you're a part of, it changes how you act and what you do. For Paul, ethics is determined by an event. When Paul starts talking about behavior, it's not just uh, a list of random things that he wants you and I to do just because. My kids are going to say this later, but you know how parents, when you tell your kids to do something and they say, why? Because I said so. Paul is not just, I said so. For Paul, all of the events are all of the ethics that he list off, when he lists off these ethics of things you should do and you shouldn't do, is based off an event. Alistair McIntyre, who is a philosopher, he said this, that the primary question about ethics is not what should I do. He says that's not the primary question about ethics. He goes on to say, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I answer the prior question of what story do I find myself a part of? In other words, I can only answer the question, what should I do, when I first answer the question, what event am I showing up to? What story am I a part of? And for Paul, that event unequivocally across the entire scope of his writings to us that we have in the New Testament, that event is the event of Christ. And specifically, it is the death and resurrection of Christ that Colossians says is first and foremost revelation this is how God reveals himself to us. He reveals himself, the image of the invisible God, is revealed to us in Jesus Christ, and then most specifically in the event of his death and resurrection. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, Paul understands this to be the revelation of God's reality. And in the death and resurrection of Jesus, Paul believes, and I think we do too, that that changes everything. 
So he says this, since you have been raised with Christ, to use this language, since you've been raised with Christ, and later on he says, for you died with Christ. Early on, just in chapter 2, this is a reference he makes back to baptism. That he's talking about Jesus' death and resurrection. He's talking about this event, and he says, when you participated in this event in baptism, you the fullness of Christ was revealed in you. So, since you have been raised with Christ, since you have encountered this event, set your mind on things above, not on things below. In other words, don't let hear him say, oh, don't worry about this earthly life. No, here's what he's saying. It's this imagery of setting your mind on things above. In other words, here's what he's saying. Set your mind on the reality of God. The death and resurrection of Jesus is God's reality. Set your mind on that. Then he goes on to say, for you died and your life is hidden in Christ and it will be revealed in the resurrection. And God's reality is revealed in the resurrection and God's full life and full reality will be revealed in the second coming. It has already begun and it will fully come when he comes back. This is the event of God. This is God's reality. It is a resurrection reality. And so Paul preaches this narrative and he says, this is reality, death and resurrection. This is reality, death and resurrection. This is God's reality. Therefore, if this is what is most real, here's what life should look like. Or here's what life shouldn't look like. And Paul he begins with sex. Sex is a gift from God. It's not a dirty thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a gift. It has the power to create life and to cement relationships. It also has the power to diminish our bodies. It has the power to corrupt our desires. It has the power to destroy relationships. It has the power to distort responsibility. Like all good gifts, they are good. They are inherently good. But they have this power to corrupt and destroy and distort. In fact, the word that is used in our reading today Sexual immorality. Sometimes it's illicit sexual behavior or illicit sex or adultery. But that word in Greek is pornea. And that may sound familiar to you because that is the word that we use in English, porn or pornography. And what it, at the heart of it is, it's this idea of a distorted view of sex. That is outside the bounds of God's resurrected reality. And for Paul what that means is that it's this, it's, it is sex that is outside the parameters. Outside the covenantal relationship of marriage. He says therefore because of the resurrection. Pornea. Rid yourself of pornea. 
Because God's resurrected world is about covenantal relationships. Not ones that are illicit and carry no responsibility, that carry no real commitments. He goes on to use other words that are kind of general, like impurity and lust. And while these can be impurity and uncleanliness in all sorts of ways, and lust out of all sorts of ways, he's in the context of talking about sexuality. So impurity, at the very heart of what he's talking about, is that those who are impure are those that don't have any respect for their bodies, and they don't have any respect for anyone else's body. I've said this before. You're going to hear me say this. In the resurrection... God unequivocally said yes to your body and to my body. Your body matters. Amen. And what you do in the body matters because of the resurrection. He calls, goes on to talk about lust or this distorted desire. It is this desire that is aimed beyond the reality of the resurrection. That proper desire, and desire is a good thing. That's a gift as well. Don't hear lust and think bad desire always. Like desire is a bad thing. But this idea of lust is disordered, is this is desire that's taken and twisted. That I begin to desire things and people that's outside of those covenantal relationships that I made. And finally he says greed. Which, by the way, he equates with idolatry. Now, greed in this context, he's talking about this idea of coveting something, covetousness, right? To want someone else's spouse. To want someone who is not your spouse. But, also in the context, it's, it extends to all kinds of greed. And while this context is the kind of greed that is maybe sexual greed, I also want to say that the other ways we think about greed is money. And here's what we tend to do. And I just honestly, in America, this is how it's gone. Conservative Christians are far more concerned about our sexual behavior. And more progressive Christians are far more concerned about money and our economic behavior. And I want to say, greed, greed can happen in both. You should be concerned about wanting something or someone that is not yours. And a distorted view of things in this world, like money and possessions, which he says ends up being idolatry. Because they have the power to draw you in that you want that more and more and more, where that desire should be directed to God. Paul doesn't use the word sin here, but it's clear that's what he's talking about. And sin, at its very core, is to miss the mark. That's what that word means, to miss the mark. Desire not aimed at God revealed in the death and resurrection of Jesus that you've missed. When you've sinned, you've missed the resurrection. 
I think is what Paul says. You've missed the event of the death and resurrection. In fact, several throughout history have said this, that sin, it's just one way of talking about it, is desire curved in on itself. Desire that is from God, is a gift from God, curved in on itself. So Luther says this. He says, our nature, by the corruption of the first sin, being so deeply curved in on itself that it not only bends the best gifts of God towards itself and enjoys them, but rather it even uses God himself in order to attain these gifts. But it also fails to realize that it is so wickedly and curvedly and viciously seeks all things, even God, for its own sake. Luther brings it. That I can even seek God. That desire is curved in on itself. It's for my own sake. And he says, for those that desire is curved in on itself, right? This pornea, this sexual immorality, lust, impurity, greed. He talks about the language of the wrath of God is coming. In other words, this is the frustration of God to say the resurrection reality has already begun. Why are you rubbing up against it? Why are you going the other way? This is my future. And it's frustrating. And those, there are consequences that happen. And those who have experienced the betrayal in infidelity Know the consequences the best. If you've experienced infidelity in a relationship, those deep, deep wounds are like dying by a thousand needles. You understand the frustration. But it's those who also understand, who have, who have committed infidelity, that they begin to understand the resurrection. They understand those consequences as well. It begins to break down marriages. It begins to break down relationships. Trust is loss. There's often shame and guilt experienced in that. And they experience those consequences of those kinds of, that kind of infidelity. But for those, and we, you know that there are those that are out there that don't even seem to be affected by any of the consequences. That one day they will understand the consequences and one day they will understand the frustration because God is coming to judge and he's going to make it right. He's going to bring it back together where fidelity rules. And those that did not understand the consequences will understand what the resurrection reality is like. So he goes on to say, you used to walk in these ways in which you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things. And he takes a turn and he goes to a different, he goes to a different place. He talks about anger, rage, malice, slander. 
And this word anger, he says, don't let this anger, this seething anger, this, this word that he's talking about is something that happens kind of inside you. You feel it? I mean, we say the silly things like when someone cuts you off in traffic. But it's that anger, it's not just anger that you feel once, but it's something that just lingers and you let it linger too long, and he says, watch out for rage. Because if anger is something that happens underneath, rage is this expression of anger. No other place have I seen the kind of rage that I've seen than at kids' soccer games. <laughs> Not at their own kids, although sometimes, but at referees. That kind of anger that's deep, that, that, that we let dwell in us oftentimes end up being expressed as rage. So the question is really this. Can you control it? Or will your anger control you? Can you put anger to death? Or will anger kill you and destroy others around you? That's the question. Then he talks about malice. The person who is malicious and is motivated to strike out and injure another person. That's not a resurrection reality. He goes on to talk about slander. And this is actually the word that's used for blasphemy when talking about God. But when talking about other people, it's when used in a relationship to other people, it means speaking falsely or speaking evil of another person and doing it intentionally. It's one thing to say things about other people and then to realize, oh, it's another thing to do it on purpose. Filthy language. This is offensive or abusive language. It's not just it is words that are offensive to us, but it's more this idea of abusive language. So it looks like this. It is foul language because it is abusive. So any language that abuses someone's racial identity or even their gender is abusive language. Any language that abuses someone and tears them down, like bullying, is filthy language. And said... He wants resurrected language because that's the reality that builds people up. Do not lie to each other. It's not just about not saying true things, but it can also apply to defrauding and cheating people. That's not a resurrection reality. And so Paul says, you have taken off the old self and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. Jesus is that image. And for Paul, the death and resurrection is the event that defines the reality of God. Therefore, live according to that reality. And here, here in the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus. There is no Gentile or Jew. No circumcised or uncircumcised. No barbarian. No Scythian. Slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. 
In other words, for Paul, the event of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is bringing people together. It is an event that seeks to reconcile all people to each other and all people to God. That's what it seeks to do. Therefore, Paul says, live according to that reality. According to the event of the death and resurrection, which changes everything. Therefore, put off sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and greed. Rid yourself of anger and rage and malice and slander. Don't lie because the resurrection is bringing people together. And the resurrection is intended to bring people to God. And when we don't live according to the resurrection, it's frustrating, that reality. Even though the resurrection has already begun, one day when Christ returns, the fullness of that reality is going to be present in our lives. And Christians are the ones that are called to begin living as if that is the most real thing here and now and the most for sure thing coming. The event of the resurrection. Let's stand and give God thanks for his reality.